Welcome back to Radio Juxtapose, my name is Doug Gillen and on today's episode I'm in conversation with the Nigerian-born, UK-based visual artist and concept photographer Asiko. Ade Okilaran, as he's known to his parents, explores the history of West African Yoruba heritage through photography and various visual medias. Under his chosen moniker Asiko, a Yoruba reference to both time and place, he creates digital collages which combine elements of film photography and AI to elevate his images into ethereal worlds. His subjects are often female, in an attempt to explore the inequalities that lie in the treatment of women in modern Nigerian culture. Through this work, Asiko invites us, the audience, to take on issues surrounding the deeply patriarchal structures alongside the use of female genital mutilation. This use of AI also allows him as a photographer to develop the visual elements of Yoruba folklore and showcases the many gods and deities that permeate the culture. On the 16th of March, Asiko will feature as part of a group exhibition, Rites of Passage, at the Britannia Street Gagosian in London. We'd also like to thank those at the MTR agency for letting us hijack their office space to record this interview together. And I also have to make a somewhat sheepish apology in advance. During this interview, in reference to Yoruba culture, you'll hear me use the word Yoruban, which isn't accurate, as in fact, Yoruba references both a singular and a collective. So when I say Yoruban heritage, it really should just be Yoruba heritage. Of course, I only found this out after the interviews, so please accept my apologies on this misstep. As always, if you do enjoy this interview, please let us know online and feel free to drop us a review or give us a follow on the socials. All the links will be in the show notes of this episode. That's it from me right now. Enjoy the episode. I always like doing these in this kind of like, <laughs> we've had a couple of exchanges and that's it. And we're just going to go straight into now a long form conversation to just see where it goes. So I'm really, I, I genuinely in the very short space of time that we have been talking, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. First and foremost, thank you for agreeing to to sit down. I really do appreciate that. One of the, the, the starting points for me though was digging through your website and everything like that. The first phrase that really jumped out at me was concept photographer. What's a concept photographer? Huh. That's a very good, maybe it's good to go back, to go forward. So I first started, I would say I started as a photographer, a photographer that took photographs of everything. I took photographs of plants, of people, of landscapes. I was interested in the world uh, when I first got my camera. And then I found I was more interested in ideas and talk about, talking about things which were resonant to me as a person. And so that's, that's kind of where the idea concept started to come in. It started to be about a concept as opposed to a literal sense. It was more about a concept. So what are my feelings about myself? What are my feelings about my identity? What about my feelings about where I've come from, Nigeria? What are my feelings about being British and Nigerian? And so that stuff starts to creep into the work because when, you, when I started to look for the questions of who I am and then the space I exist in, then shouldn't that come into the work that I create? But it wasn't like, oh, I thought about it and it has to be in the work, it's more, I was exploring photography, I was exploring life, 
there starts to be some sort of synergy. So the word concept has come from the, these ideas. Um, it's funny because I used to, I'm a photographer and that's where it all started. But I think right now I'm in this space where I'm now, because I'm mixing things, I would say I'm now a visual artist because I've started to pull things in. So I'm pulling aspects of sculpture. I'm working with AI. Then I'm combining AI into my photographs. Um, then I've, I've shot a film um, where I directed a film. So there are all these different things that now make up um, what I do now in my practice. I love the phrase mixed media because it's such a vague piece of terminology <laughs> that artists just throw in. They're like, ah, it's, it's mixed media. It is mixed media. So when did when did this sort of this exploration into these further parts come? You know, what I'm looking at if I scroll on if I jump onto your Instagram, it's definitely not straight photography. No, it's not. And and um, we should be allowed to experiment and then technology brings things, but then old art brings things as well. So I like to use my hands. So right now I'm in that phase of using my hands. So some of the work is, is uh, adorned with jewelry. Some of it is AI art. And then I'm taking the AI art and combining it with photography. What I love about AI is it's making me imagine new things to bring into the artwork. I can create a piece that doesn't exist, you know, and put it as a crown on a woman's head, but it's a crown I've made up based on using AI art. So in, in some way, I'm allowing myself to be human and to be human, you know, we want to experiment. We want to try different things. We, as a creative, as, as an artist, you want to try different things. I think the world is opening up so I can. And so I, I'm enjoying that bit right now, just to be able to just move into different things. And then there's sculpture as well. So a lot. I think for, <laughs> I was going to say for the audience, but actually equally just for me as well, um, this idea of, you know, you're saying like I use AI to create this crown as if it was, you know, oil on a brush. And I, can you, can you just explain, you know, on, in kind of layman's terms, what that means when you say I'm using AI to create something. If I look at one of your, and this is maybe a second part to the question, if I look at an image that's on your Instagram, what's the percentage of that that would have just been generated through AI versus how much of it is you staging a photo shoot and creating and dressing the models and styling and everything like that? So it's quite interesting. So AI was came to me in September last year, and it's kind of taken my work, not in a different direction, but more it's added new things into it. Essentially, for me, AI is just a tool. Like the way I use a camera is the way I use AI. So it's, um, you have to understand its limitations, understand how well you can use it. Uh, you are only limited by your creativity. Some of the images on my Instagram, I, there was one person who was actually scrolling and they couldn't tell what was what. So they, in some cases, oh, is this AI? And then, you know, I get comments, or oh, is this AI? No, that's a straight up photograph. Mm -hmm. I think AI hasn't taken anything away. It's more brought new things in. So when you talk about the crown, let, let, let's take the crown or let's take, I don't know if you can see, you probably can't see these images. I'll throw it on the... 
Actually, no, for the podcast, no, we can't see the images. We, we can't see the images. <laughs> so I've got a series called She Is Adorned. Essentially, it's a collage. These are all collages. They're taking different things. So a lot of cultural references are in there. Anything from, you know, the what the lady the armor the lady is wearing, how it's inferred with all these cultural symbols, all of those things are taken. So in some cases, I photograph those things when I've been, you know, on my travels, you know, when I'm in Nigeria, I, t I have like a big image uh, library and I take some of these things and use them in the images. So I photographed, uh, the, um, you know, the model and I know what I'm trying to do. I photographed the model and then I bring all these cultural symbolisms into the work. I've just used AI. I've just started to use AI to do what I do with actually taking a photograph and then superimposing it on my subject to tell the story. Now I'm using AI to do that. But what I'm doing with the AI is I'm expanding things that don't even exist mm -hmm. and using based on cultural mythology that I know from the past, from my research, I've taken all of those. So when, when I'm creating stuff in AI, my prompts can be stupidly long. And prompts are, you're, you're, you're talking to this uh, AI system and say, create this, this, this. And I, there's, there's a lot of uh, pauses and sentences trying to make sure I can get as much of or as close to what I see in my head through the AI system. And then in some cases, I'll take that. Um, so uh, I, I'm creating some work for a museum in Nigeria right now. And we were, what was I doing? So we were creating a mythological character called Shongo. Shongo is essentially very similar to Thor. In, in, and it's always interesting because how is it that all these different cultures have these... So, so you've created this, this character? This isn't a Yoruban character? Uh, it is. Oh, it is? Okay, sorry. So it's sorry. a Yoruban character. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. Wow. So I photographed him when I went to Nigeria. I photographed the character. We did some styling and all of that. Mm -hmm. But now I've taken it into AI. So what I've done using uh, to add to, I've created a futuristic city of what Lagos would look like. And it's the idea of looking to a better tomorrow using the cultural references from the past. So I've, so I've photographed this character. I've taken to create in the background this futuristic Lagos city, um, his hammer, I'm, I'm not going to get a hammer anywhere which resembles what I've seen in my head. He, he, he has an axe slash hammer, so I created that in AI. But I've thought of all of this stuff before I actually shot, so I know how his hand needs to be. And, you know, I've put something in his hand and I've replaced it with that. So for me, it, it's, it's added to what I do as a collage artist to be able to pull things into the images. Just he just hearing this idea of like a kind of a, a, a Lagos under a, a Yoruban, Yoruban vision, it just almost harked back to um, Black Panther. Mm. Uh, how, how, is this an intentional kind of like, okay, did this influence you or are these, is it separate? You know, the idea of kind of like a, a Wakanda being, you know, this is what Africa could look like without the European hand. Mm. So that's, that's, that's a loaded and interesting question. There are two responses to that. One, I'm always influenced by comic mythology. Um, it's, uh, as a kid, 
my head was knee deep in graphic novels, anything from Superman to Batman to Black Panther to Spider-Man. And I feel like part of my work is inspired by that, even if I'm not sure how, but I do feel uh, in terms of characters, in terms of bigger, larger than life characters, I think there's some influences there. That is always going to be there. Um, and Black Panther, you know, visualizing it, you know, when it came out in the film, but I'd already seen it in the comics as a kid anyway, but visualizing it helped. It's more also about looking to the future. Well, what could we be like if we shook off some of these colonial shackles, if we shook off our own trauma, if we shook off and looked to the future and looked to create this city where we have clean energy. Because right now, Nigeria, one of the biggest problems is their power cuts. For a country that, you know, is quite a big country and we have all these dams, there are power cuts and they shouldn't be. You know, we supply power to Benin Republic, which is a smaller country. And I've been to Benin, I do projects there. And Benin hardly has any power cuts, but Nigeria has. So it's, it has a lot of problems. So for me, it's envisioning a better future where there is energy. And, you know, Shongo, electricity, his energy. So he is in that space of creating this, uh, of this, uh, creating this futuristic Lagos. And it's not just Yoruban mythology and culture that you do explore through your work. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's largely there, but like you were saying, you see threads in Norse mythology and things like that. So the more you read on these different, you know, these different cultures, do you start, the more similarities do you start to see through them? So I think the human story is, is very connected and it's quite scary because now everything is very we're quite divided but the human stories have been similar in all these mythologies and you know they have these larger than life characters you know some are deities of war or of of um energy or of thunder and lightning and you know they, they both carry hammers so shongo and thor they both carry hammers both warrior disposition type characters both have an anger and a, a, a disposition sometimes to violence as well norse is very far from yoruba uh, or oh, i'm looking at loki you know the the trickster type um deities um uh, but also very in it messenger type deities loki and then issue of that so those those things kind of inter they interest me looking looking back because mythologies inform how societies are right now and that's what I'm really trying to understand how these mythologies inform the cultures that we have right now understanding how that can affect a better tomorrow because I feel lab we shouldn't template our cultures based on other cultures you know everybody's like westernization well yeah, westernization is good. It has its good things. But how do you inform your own culture based on who you are as a people? Western politics won't work in Nigeria. It doesn't work in Nigeria. We tried, but it really, really doesn't work. It's a bit of a mess. So we need to look back at how our societies were built, take aspects of Western ideology and then take aspects of ourselves and make sure it works for us moving forward into a better tomorrow. I'd like to talk and explore this relationship with Nigeria then because it's obviously permeates the work and it obviously comes through in just the very short space of time that we've been talking. First of all, what brought you to the UK? 
I'm interested to see how the memories of a place inform your relationship with it as the as that time goes by and the the space becomes maybe greater. So yeah, could you could you maybe sort of talk about that a little bit? So I moved here close to 2000, A levels, um, that kind of stuff. Now um, I was born here, but my parents were part of that generation who come came to study in the UK to get, you know, uh, university. Mm -hmm. So both my parents are accountants and then they moved back. The idea is they come study here and then move back and, you know, start jobs. So you might, they both got great jobs at the time. They moved back, started a family and all of that. So I grew up in Nigeria till, I don't know, 16, 17, and then I moved back here. So a good part of your yeah, formative part of years, years for, we're, for we're, sure. Yeah, we're definitely in Nigeria. So, and, and so on moving back, it was quite an interesting period of time because, you know, in a way they brought me back and it was like, okay, they put me with my uncle, you know, I was staying with my uncle and, you know, I was, I was doing A-levels and just going to school. But it was quite a challenging time for me to adapt to this new space. And the older I got, I really started to appreciate the culture that I didn't appreciate when I lived in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. Part of the cultural exploration is about me finding out about who I am and where I've come from. And so that's where some of the work kind of spills out, or it's that exploration spills into the work. Was there a catalyst moment for you? And when you sort of kind of had that light bulb go off and you're like, shit, I, I've had this whole thing that's been part of my life, but I actually don't really know much about it. That's interesting. You know, I always hear that Eureka moment. I never have any of that. It, I find it's gradual, or maybe I'm not paying attention to that specific yeah, moment, yeah. but it's gradual. And maybe it's, it's, it's the human experience. It's like, who am I? What am I doing here? Who do I want to be? And maybe in trying to answer those questions, because I think this start in terms of these questions, they were always there, but they really started to come to the forefront after my university days. And just me being a man in this space that's foreign, but familiar, but foreign, and, and trying to gra grapple with you know, sometimes I go to Nigeria and they're like, you're not Nigerian. And I come here, you're not English. And I'm this new breed of person. Too English for the Nigerians, yeah, exactly. too Nigerian for exactly. the English. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, I now have made peace with this space that I exist in, this hybrid person who is comfortable with both of these cultural um, structures. Um, and, and, you know, I'll go to Nigeria and say, you're not Nigerian. I'm Nigerian might not be the Nigerian you know, but I am Nigerian and I am British. So if anybody here tells me you're not British, I'm like, yeah, yes, I am. So for me, I live in this space of being confident in who I am in this space that I exist in now. And I assume this confidence didn't just come. It's a journey we all have to take, regardless of whether Nigerian, British or wherever we are, we have to get to this space where there's a confidence in who we are. That is part of that journey. And if we don't know, then that has to be questioned who we are because life's challenging. So find the confidence to be able to stand within the thousand storms that are going to come. There is no escape from them, um, except we want to hide under a rock, which is 
not going to do anybody any good. Um, so for me, I had to go on that journey. Some of it's organic, some of it, uh, the older I get, the more intentional I am about the journey. Um, this is a, a, a pretty loaded question. It's a question I've asked many people and I, I just find it uh, a particularly interesting concept because it's such a loaded word, but where or what for you then as someone that's kind of battling with this sense of place and identity, not necessarily battling, but exploring actively, where or what is home for you? Ooh. Hmm. There, there, I think there are a few ways to look at this. Home is, I believe it's this construct, and it is a construct based on every individual's idea of what home is, what home is. So for me, home right now is that space I exist in with my wife, because we're both working as a team to make this space fulfilling to both of us in our journey. So my journey is quite intertwined with hers and organically or you've actively made it you've built it that way it's actively um i find it's hard to be it's hard to to just and 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 this 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 is uh kind of a bit of my marriage journey which you'll probably kill me for for for, for talking about but it, it's it's more we got married and we thought ah, and then you find actually have to be intentional we have to be intentional about us loving one another, about date nights, about dealing with conflict, about dealing with, oh, we ain't got no money. How are we gonna cope? How can we work together? Um, this is a budget. We have to work at this together. It's going to be challenging for this period of time, but you know, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. So home is that space that we've made together and for some people home is more their sanctity and their state of mind and being able to just be calm wherever they are um, it can also take up physical a physical representation uh, for right now we've just recently moved to mill hill we are trying to make mill hill home there i think there there usually will be some sort of sweet spot where we feel like oh this is home there's a lot of renovations and stuff going on so it doesn't completely feel like home but i know there will be this point where it does mm -hmm. so it can take up that physical embodiment but i think it's a it's a state of mind and it's hard as well because whenever i go back to africa or nigeria has its it feels like home because it's tied to a lot of emotional stuff as a kid. So it's nostalgic, but I've been going to other African countries and I know Benin Republic, which is next door to Nigeria feels like home. Dude, I was going to say that they feel like home. So the, the places that you've physically never been or had a relationship with suddenly you get there and you're like, actually, this is home. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think that is? Is a sense of, is this going ancestral? Is this like something woven into your DNA or is this something just a, a, a feeling? Well, it, it, isn't, isn't it a, a both of those things? It's, it's that whole ancestral connection. Um, 
but also it's that feeling that you have you know when you get off the plane and the warm air hits your face and the smell and everything and then the vibrancy of the people and then there's that heat as well which is different from the heat here i don't understand why it's different mm -hmm. but it just feels different and those things make it feel like home and i i i, I feel there's a level of comfortable even though I don't know the terrain. There's a level of comfortable that I feel being. Uh, and, and so for me, it's prompted, I have to do Africa through my lifetime. I might not get to every single country, uh, but I want to be able to explore Africa, uh, explore in the work, but also explore this space as well. I'm going to veto Nigeria from the answer because that's, that, that's got too much of a connection. Uh, outside of Nigeria, uh, have you got any uh, personal highlights of places that you've uh, discovered or, or ventured into in Africa? Mm, yeah, so I haven't done as much as I should have, um, but the, this is an ongoing journey. But Bena Republic, just because it also has that close Yoruba um, culture in Bena Republic, but it's just this place, the people. So the people even though they're Yoruba in Benin Republic and they're Yoruba in Nigeria. We've used this word, sorry, a, a few times and um, maybe again, kind of like the AI uh, exploration explanation. Can you maybe just, what, what's, what's, who are the Yoruban people and what is Yoruban culture? Uh, you know, is it, is it a type of people? Is it an ethnicity? Is it a religion? Is it all these things? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So for the, for the, for the, the listener, um, can you maybe just sort of like define what it is we're talking about here? So the Yoruba people are, Yoruba is the people, it's the language, it's the ethnicity, but the Yoruba people uh, southwest Nigeria, um, basically on, on the coast. Um, but you have quite a few, it's quite diverse even within it. It's crazy. Um, they're like nearly 200 dialects of Yoruba. So I can hear a Yoruba person with another dialect. I can make out some words, some words I might not even So know. like if you were having a, a full-on conversation with them, you might not be able to... So it depends on where they are. So in, in Yoruba land, as I would say, there are about five or six states in Nigeria which are Yoruba speaking. Mm -hmm. Now... The ones in Lagos, where I'm from, those ones I can definitely understand. And if you start, the further north you start to move, and you, I'll, I'll get certain words. Some words I might not get, um, but but I hardly ever come across. Um, it's only when I go to Nigeria, but not in the UK. In the UK, I meet mainly just Yoruba people uh, from Lagos or Ogun State. Can you, can you tell a Yoruban person as soon as you meet them without them saying much? Because I can see a Scot, like I'm from Scotland. I can see a Scot a mile away. <laughs> There's a sadness in their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. I thought Scottish people, all the Scottish people I met, are actually quite jovial. Yeah, yeah. And no, they're quite, there's, there's a, quite a life. Uh, we, we, yeah. we laugh through the sadness. Because <laughs> you have to. Oh, I love that laugh through the sadness. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I can usually recognize Nigerians and Yoruba people sometimes by just seeing. The, and it's not everybody that can do this, but I think Africans can, some can kind of tell 
if somebody's from the north side of Africa, if they're east, if they're uh, South African, they can kind of tell facially, body type, they can kind Now, that's a generalization and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but West African people, I can kind of tell, once somebody opens their mouth, even with a British accent, I can start to tell because there are certain ways, especially if the person speaks Yoruba, uh -huh. you can't hide. Because Yoruba is a certain accent and dialect that pr makes you pronounce words even when you change your accent to English, they can you can still kind of tell. I almost hate asking this, but I've kind of got to. Could you could you say something in Yoruba? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay, okay. I wouldn't ever normally ask okay, that question, all right, but it's all right. because it's just suddenly become such a focal point. I mm, think yeah. Actually, it would be quite nice to hear. We're talking about so, the sound. I'm scared to do it on camera because the Yoruba people will pop. <laughs> yeah, the, I'll get. They'll, they'll be like, "What the hell is he saying?" So kilonshele, kilonshele, my guy. Meaning, what's happening, my guy? Or, or, or uh, Baoni, how are you? Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably gonna get crucified I online. Really I know you're not. There's a disclaimer on the screen. It's fine. I think it's an open-minded audience. You're listening to a sequel in conversation with myself, Doug Gillen, here on Radio Juxtapose. Coming up in this next half, we open things up a little as we get further into religion, fatherhood, and a whole lot more. Stay with us right here on Radio Juxtapose in conversation with the sequel. Um, I feel like I should probably ask you uh, one of the fucking fundamental obvious questions I was supposed to ask you. What got you into photography and when did it creep in? Or did it creep? Sorry, maybe it was a, a fucking lightning bolt. Mm, yeah, I don't get lightning bolts. I, I found <laughs> I actually don't get those moments. So as a kid, my dad collected art. He had, you know, local painters, their works on sculptures, paintings. Um, our home was filled with, with, with stuff and he, he had an appreciation for art. So that was my first foray into, into artwork and just seeing those beautiful pieces. Then as a kid, I was, I was always in awe of the Renaissance period, um, you know, from Italy and Germany as well. I, I loved the drama, the spirituality, the epic scope of, of you know, Michelangelo, of Leonardo da Vinci's. I loved that work. So all of that started to sow seeds and visual notes in my head without me knowing that it was there. Um, I actually uh, went, you know, I have Nigerian parents, so the idea of being an artist or photographer was a non-entity. Accountant Nigerian parents at that. <laughs> that was never going to be a thing. So, um, and I wasn't one of those children who said, you know what, I'm going to do what I want. That, I, that would never even happen in an African or Nigerian household. <clears throat> so I have a chemistry degree, have a master's in bioinformatics. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for quite a number of years, but I slowly moved into photography. So even when I was working in that industry, you know, when I had some money, uh, actually, my mom bought me this little Casio camera. So it's her fault. Kind of her fault. <laughs> she just bought a camera. She didn't know. She just thought she it was it, it was it was a dinky it was a dinky crappy. Um, it, 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 
nobody's would you Casio doesn't even make cameras. I don't know why they, they I had but had this camera after about three months, got rid of it, got an SLR, just started to take photographs, photograph. It wasn't about a career. This is just a new hobby I enjoy. But all these visual notes from my past kept creeping in. And I think that's starting to inform the idea of the word concept, mm -hmm. as opposed to, oh, here's a pretty picture. No, I just don't want to make a pretty picture. I want to make a picture that has meaning, that has weight to it. Uh, so taking photographs, taking photographs, and then I started to understand there is this thing called art, and then started to dive into that. Um, all the while just enjoying this as a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, and then s people started asking me to shoot their weddings, which was crazy. Did you do the wedding site? Okay, I bet they were good because you, I, I mean, I, and, and even just like digging through on, on your website, even when I, I look at what was clearly the earlier work pre, you know, the digital collage and the pre-AI, it feels like it's the hand of an artist. It, it doesn't feel like a commercial corporate, you know, here's your wedding. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, 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 thank you. I, it, it, I enjoyed it for, I think I did it for about a year and a half, maybe 2012 or 2010. And then I, I stopped. It was funny, I got married and then I hated doing weddings. And it wasn't because our, of our wedding in any way, but yeah. I was just like... Disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, honey, not, not about that. But it was weird. I just, we had our wedding and I had one or two, I shot a wedding after. I was like, I actually don't really care for this. Once you've seen how the sausage is made. <laughs> but I actually think it was more, um, it was more, I wanted to make things Mm -hmm. as opposed to capture things uh -huh. and i think that was where i started it, it was it was becoming my natural progression to make work so make whatever is going into this photograph and make it whatever i wanted to make it with a vision or whatever and then so i i i packed up weddings and then i started just photographing i went a bit into fashion i was going to say that would be the second place where i would have seen an influence come because if I look at your studio work particularly that lighting is not that that's informed this is and this is this is something that I think is really possibly uh under maybe maybe from particularly from a, a, a white audience it might be under explored or underappreciated how how much effort you've put into your lighting and how to make that just to to really make your subject stand out in a particular way that doesn't just happen that comes through through learning and through practice and all these things and i i can i can very much see that so there and, and i think that the the main space that that would have existed would have been fashion yeah yeah i i, I funny thing is i'm not a fashion photographer i thought i wanted to be but I found that I was just more interested in the story, but clothes help tell an interesting story, how you style the person. So I started to understand styling, how you put things together, what jewelry to use and all of that stuff. So that started to inform my photograph practice as well. And so even the work now, you know, anything from when you look at anything that I've created, I've either worked with a stylist, I've styled it myself, but me going into the fashion world and understanding how things work there 
was helpful. And all of these things, you know, I, I don't take any of these roads for granted, even my previous career. I don't take it all for granted because they've helped inform what I do now and nothing was ever lost. It was just part of me becoming, um, I guess, more proficient at creating the artwork that I create now. Uh, so did messed around with fashion, but it was still very much about the story, the concept, the idea. And so at one time I, I was thinking, would I do this commercially? But I found I had no interest in doing it commercially. So I just wanted to focus on the story. So you do, there was never uh, a point where you were doing, you were just a commercial photographer? <laughs> there was, and it sucked. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so there, there, there was a period of time when um, I was living in Belgium with my wife. I'd been working at Johnson & Johnson, saved up some money, and they were like, okay, we're coming back to the UK. I'm going to quit my, my, you know, my, my career as, as a data architect, and I'm going to start being a full-time photographer a commercial full-time photographer. Mm -hmm. And now that was when I was concerned, maybe it should be fashion, maybe not. So I came back. I didn't really get work. It was very weird. I mean, I was getting work, but it was one or two things. Thank God there were savings, but the savings were running out after yeah, about a year. They're not going to last. The rent alone was... And so uh, I went into this period of depression. You know, nobody was hiring. Um, and also, I think I wasn't in a good place to even create anymore. I wasn't really creating anymore. And I was just looking, oh, where's the next gig coming? Where's the next gig? Chasing, 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 chasing. That's the vicious part. When you're chasing the bag, it suddenly becomes something completely different. And then you start, it's like, you know, it's like you start splashing around and you start drawing. And then you start doing rubbish work mm -hmm. or you start uh, getting yourself involved in work you really shouldn't. Um, then there is, um, the, the creation is not interesting anymore and then it affects all the other aspects of of my life so you know i'm i you know with my wife and you know i'm snapping at her you know we're struggling in 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 our marriage at that time as well yeah she's probably gonna kill me now <laughs> She's not, she's not. This is an honest conversation. It's supposed to be an honest conversation. There was something, there was something really uh, that, that hit me earlier. It was, you had talked about this idea of, of the marriage and it's like, we are programmed from the age of four that every film we watch, every single film we watch, they have the kiss and the happily ever after. And you never see the marriage. The, the idea of love, the idea of love finishes at the moment where they get together, right? I swear to God. Hollywood, I know you guys are, you know, it's a whole big marketing campaign for America and everything. And I love film, but it is terrible. It, it does not inform well at all. Kids grow up with this idea of what life should be. And they've seen a lot of stuff from films and it is not true. And that's why people feel depressed. Exactly, because there's <laughs> expectation. It's expectation. And when you have that sort of expectation, then it's a problem when things don't fall into place. And I think it is the journey of every human being to be awake in the world that we live in. And I'm not saying woke, but to be awake and to try and understand 
the space that they exist in and try and understand that what we see being fed to us is not necessarily complete truth. You have to find your bubble and find how to exist in your bubble because there's so much stuff being bombarded. You, you just need to put on the TV or put it, open up your laptop and you, we are bombarded with stuff. And if we go with the flow and are not stoic in the midst of all of this noise, we will get carried away. And that is not great for any person or their mental health or you know, who they want to be um, as, as a person. So talking about this, the space that you were in, we kind of moved into the mental health conversation, but I'm interested because you were talking about you were doing the commercial work that wasn't fulfilling, but there must have been a moment or something there. How did you get into the the in, in, the space where you were able to create as a as an as an artist as a as a concept photographer how were you able to navigate through this without having to you know to to sell your soul Jesus mm. back ah <laughs> uh, so um it this is definitely not a hollywood story in terms of oh i maybe i created something and then it exploded and then i became this nah that's Life is interesting and I'm very thankful to my connection and relationship with God because I feel that's been at the center. That has saved my marriage. It has saved my health as a person. So one of the interesting things I found was- Are we talking Christian God? You're yeah, sorry, God. Christian, 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 Christian God. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay. Christian God. For that, that's been bringing a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, 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 of course, of course, of course. I am- Yeah, yeah. It's the interesting thing was, I, I felt an inkling to just take a breath and the path that I'm going on is not gonna work out great. So take a breath and step back. And in stepping back and being able to find thoughts and being able to center myself, I found that if I continue down this trajectory of chasing this dream, it's not gonna work out. So I went back to my previous line of work as a data architect. And it was hard because I didn't wanna do it. Because you had a little taste. You had seen that there could have been this thing behind the camera. I did, but, but remember, I was just a photographer. Mm. I was more a commercial type photographer. It wasn't what I was always supposed to be. I wanted it, like I wanted to make images that would go on billboards, do those commercial things. Um, so I, 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 I quit photography, went back to my nine to five, worked. But you know the strangest thing? I only started to create the things I wanted to create. I stopped caring about money because now financially, you know, I'm not just living for myself. I'm now married. So I need to make sure we are taken care of. I need to make sure we have some plans or, or something. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want money to be an issue anymore. So I went back and I did, but the thing is I didn't have as much time to create. So the time I had to create, I only created the stuff that was important. Cut out all the fat, cut out all the stuff that was not needed, only the stuff I needed to create. And in doing that over the next set of years, I really honed my craft and it wasn't about anybody. 
It was about me. There was a lot of introspection through that time. A lot of the work became formed. My ideas, my who I am being a Nigerian living in the UK, all of that stuff started to really come to the surface. And it was just about enjoying what I do as, and then the word artist started to come into the whole idea of what, what I do right now. Because I'd never really thought about that word. Were you quite disciplined in the structure of the time that you were allowing yourself and what you were doing with this? You know, it's not just like, okay, cool, I'll do a little bit here, I'll, I'll tinker here. Was it like, okay, cool, I have, in, in my weekend, I have eight hours that I'm, I'm, I'm given, I need to make the most of this time. Essentially, that, that was it. Um, I had to be structured because you also have a life, you know, you're, you're married or you, 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 or you have stuff that you need to do, there's family. So, yeah, exactly. So you need to be able to structure your time to make artwork or make photographs. So, you know, or, you know, to, uh, I enjoyed sometimes where I would just go out really early in the morning. So I have this work that I've, I've shown maybe once or twice, but it's something I'm building and I want to continue to build it. Uh, they're using an infrared camera to take photographs of the British countryside. So I just go out early in the morning, take these photographs, you know, when the sun is coming up or just, and infrared photography is different. It sees light completely differently. It's not how, you know, what we see in visible light. There's an absence of color uh, uh, in, in infrared. For a listener, what does, like, if you were to describe what an infrared uh, capture might look like, is it, because I, initially I was picturing one of those things where it's like, you know, the, the body cam of a soldier going in to get, you know, Osama bin Laden or something like that. It's quite ethereal and that's why I'm drawn to it. That's a word that I, I, I associate very closely with your, with your, your oh, work, okay. ethereal. It feels like, uh, particularly with the use of the AI and the digital yeah. stuff, that ethereal yeah. really yeah. starts to come through. You're, yes, you're right. It's ethereal. It reminds me of when I read um, those, like, you know, these old children's stories like Enid Blyton and, and stuff like that, how I envisioned the, these beautiful, magical worlds. And so I tie some of that stuff as a kid into those images. So it's, it's I, get, I guess it's, there's an element of fantasy in, in the images, but those are images that I've been making. So the infrared images will have absence of color, the trees, by switching around the colors, the trees are white. So everything green is white. So it has a, a very, it's otherworldly, mm -hmm. that, 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 that's the word. Um, so sometimes I would just go take, take some time for my mental health, but just to enjoy being nature, do those photographs. Um, so I was conscious about uh, the time I spent um, making photographs because as we, we have to be adults. And being an adult ain't easy, so you have to kind of structure things. Well, that's what I found. How does that shift work for your practice, which really initially was a form of almost catharsism, uh, a, a place of calm and a place of creative fulfillment, once 
the safety net of the data analyst or data architect once the safety net of that goes and then suddenly that calming space of creativity is now the breadwinner and that's the main source of income and everything like that how does that change your relationship with your practice because it goes suddenly from something of escapism into something that now is a you know there's a dependence on it Hmm. so you know, the, the, um, one, one of, I'll, I'll say this again, there was no eureka moment. I find that I never have those. Maybe one day I will, but it was very gradual. So it was more, I had to build this thing and this practice. But one of the things I was fortunate in building work that was just very um, personal was people started to ask for that work. And then people started to want to put it on their walls. So for me, it was a natural progression. And, you know, that side of things built up so much Mm. that it was undeniable. And it was what I wanted to do anyway, but it was undeniable. But I just didn't wake up like I did the first time and say, I'm done. I quit. Yeah, I I have to be uh, responsible. So I have to take the right steps. And maybe this is stuff I've learned from my parents. My parents were both accountants. I mean, our accountants, and they're both quite cautious. I'm possibly the more crazy person to jump. And I did it once, but I didn't want to be burned again. So I had to take it more, more carefully. And, and, you know, for, for my future, for, for, for my family, I needed to be more thoughtful and more present. We're taking that step. So it's more gradual. And then when I felt the time was right, I decided to, you know, not take on another contract and just focus on, on, on the work. But I enjoy it a lot. Sometimes it's challenging as any job is, but I enjoy it a lot because it's something that I want to create. It's something that I want to, um, it's something that comes from me. And I'm fortunate enough that, you know, people want to buy it or people want to hear what I have to say or, or whatever, um, that for me is a blessing because it's not, I, I don't actually think it's as easy to find what your, what your calling is or what you think you might be great at. I don't think it's as easy because if it was, a lot of people would be doing that and we'd be living a lot more fulfilled lives because sometimes, yeah, money, yeah, we want to make money and, you know, take care of ourselves in the world we live in. But to be able to be fulfilled in that way is not the easiest of things. Let me go back to where does the meeting point or the how does the relationship work between a practicing Christian and a Yoruban? The the interesting thing is we are we curate the life that we make. We we curate it. We we pull things in and out. Um, my culture is a beautiful thing. It it informs how I relate to people. When I meet people, you have to treat them with a certain level of respect. And then if they are older, you treat them even with more respect. You, 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 you have to be um, respectful to your elders. You have to be hospitable as a person. So if somebody comes to your house, you know, the, in, the thing culturally to do is, you know, invite them in, sit them down. Do they want to eat? So the, the, these are things that I've, I've taken in from my culture. So my culture informs my, I guess, way of life, mm. but my connection to the divine 
is my Christian faith and is that journey that I am, you know, I, I believe and I trust God through the challenges that I experience on a daily basis. God is my source and my strength. And, um, and for me, he helps inform, um, you know, how I even relate to my wife and stuff. So I, I think for me, I, I've, there's a certain level of combination. And, and for me, that spirituality is my Christian faith. And I won't say I have this whole thing figured out. And maybe this is part of the journey as well, understanding what makes me me and how that's connected to my ancestry you know how my um how can i put it my parents and the ancestry all of them how they connect to me and how they inform me as a person and their hopes and their dreams in a, in a strange way um but you know god is at the at the center of that whole thing and he informs who i am so it's a it's a I think spirituality is an interesting thing. And, you know, there, I think as human beings, we're all spiritual. Even if you don't believe in a God, there's a level of spirituality, of connection to something which is a little bit more than we are. Because in, in a way, isn't that how we, is, is, is that how we bring ourselves together and work together as a unit? Because if we abandon all things and we think there is nothing more to us i love i love the people that are principled enough and strong enough to have the complete like to have that that viewpoint where you are you, like it's pure nihilism pure chaos this there is no greater force. This is all random. Nothing means anything. Your actions do not contribute. They do not mean anything. There is no, when you die, you are dust. <laughs> I think that is such a brilliantly hard-lined view to take that removes any notion of spirituality or romanticism from every from the the fundamental existence of everything that we know to remove that is such a hard line to take i'm finding navigating my world as a man you know i i i I need i need a source and and you know i i have these these sort of jousting sort of conversations about the existence of god with with friends and I found, you know, one of the things I tell them is this works for me when I've hit rock bottom or when I did hit and things were very challenging. It was my faith that took me through. It was my faith that God at the center of my marriage helped my marriage work beyond what I could, you know, I was, I was led, but it worked because of that. Yeah, I love that. If that working for me, it's the it's the most beautiful thing because I'm finding that I'm navigating through scripture, through connection to God. I'm navigating this life and I'm making it work because of that. Now, there are, I'm not one of those people who can intellectually joust, you know, about, you know, God and this. And I, I feel it's such a personal thing and mm. it's not something that I'm going to push on anybody. I, my thing is, this has worked for me and it's been a beautiful thing for me.
I think that's when religion and spirituality becomes its most effective and when it becomes its most beautiful, when it is seen as a personal thing. And it's, mm. it's, it's not about me pushing an ideology, pushing an agenda, saying you are bad if you, if you do not conform to my, to my belief and all these things. Like religion at its absolute best, which I think is the vast majority of people who are religious do believe that it is a personal thing between them and their, and their you know, beliefs or whatever it might be. I think that's when it's, when it's most effective to help create that framework and that support network within yourself of how you find you know you how you find hope through hard times and how you and how you inform the relationships that you have with uh, uh, around you and how you're cultivating these things yeah that's, yeah that's a really beautiful thing and i think that's as someone that has no religion in their life that's something that i i, I do envy to a degree you know i think that that's such a beautiful thing that i think a lot a large part of modern society particularly has definitely lost and i think because i i think my skepticism with it all and this becomes maybe it's part of because i'm a maybe it's white guilt maybe it's the it's the maybe it is maybe it's like white guilt in the sense that i can't i can't detach i can't detach myself mm -hmm. from the structures of organized religion so i couldn't look at christianity without thinking about the crusades without thinking particularly for a nigerian practicing christianity i can't detach myself from from an institution that i fundamentally disagree with and that that comes in the way these 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 organizations and these structures come between me connecting with a sense of spirituality mm, mm. yeah there's a lot of truth to that so one of the things i found is human beings will do human beings we're always human being and just being what the hell we are so anything that we have that we're given which is beautiful take sex it's a beautiful thing right but we mangle it and we we mess with it and it becomes this whole different and it can be wh whatever it is and it becomes not great but at the essence of it it's still a beautiful thing so it's understanding that human beings will just do what humans we will just do whatever and there there is we're flawed we're broken you know our our past traumas inform the stupid mistakes that we make but sometimes we can't help it because we're human beings but i i believe in in god and his his grace and his love for us that regardless of the things that we do we are accepted and we are loved and so it also re helped reframe my relationship with my dad because my dad is a nigerian man doesn't show emotion i don't even think he ever said he loved me and i think maybe when he said it when i was much older it was a very strange thing that my brain my brain couldn't comprehend it and it was like why are you telling me this what are you talking to? <laughs> yeah so but i had to reframe that because you know i'm soon going to become a dad and i need to know how to change those things uh which didn't i think i'm i'm trying to understand what god's idea of fatherhood is and it's a very challenging thing because the world is such a 
challenging space and it's like how does god exist in this space with all these things that happen but you know we've been given free will and free will is is beautiful it's also dangerous you have your kid and you have you know you want to take care of the kid and you make sure they don't get hurt fine and you you teach them and give them tools to live a life there is that but you've also given them free will because you can't control them. And when you do, it's not great. So you have to give them free will to be who they are, but you will always be there in the shadows, especially when they become an adult. You will always be there and it's like when they fall, it's like, okay, I've got you. And I think that's how I see my relationship with God. It's like, I've been given free will to do amazing things. I've been given a gift and I'm fortunate that people buy into this gift as, as an artist and as a person. And, um, you know, I, my connection to God. And, you know, sometimes when I even struggle with ideas of how to create something, I can sometimes have a prayer and I have some time to myself. And then it helps me kind of work through things. And, you know, I get, uh, 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 you know, just connections and, and, and beautiful things. Um, how do you how do you feel then? I'm gonna I'm gonna do it since we've we scratched it we scratched that surface. How do you feel about the sense of essentially having to park part of who you're who you believe you are, your sense of I am this person filled with free will, and you already parked a, a part of that sense of who you are as an individual when you got married. And then you gave up a little piece of your identity to to your wife, and I th I believe that that's what happens when when yeah. you when you enter into that. And then when you have a child, there's a there's a greater piece of you that mm -hmm. then becomes, and there's another chunk of my identity. And now I become, in the eyes of 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 particular of this one person, you are that 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 piece of you that you think is you and how you've defined yourself, that doesn't exist in the eyes of your child because your child only sees you as the father. That other person doesn't exist. So there's these set, these these pieces of your identity that are now having to kind of like meet somewhere. So how do you feel about this, this changing, evolving form of yourself, sense of self? So you just hit on a word there, evolving sense of yourself there is the older we get there is an evolution and growth that happens now growth doesn't happen by that seed being the same seed there's a germination now through germination there's a pull and there's a push and pull to break out of that seed so this seed becomes this little sprout and then it becomes this it ends up becoming this tree but through that whole period there is a lot of adversity, weather conditions, not enough nutrients in the soil. But through that period, this person evolves or this plant evolves into a big oak tree. That doesn't come by a, hey, la la la, rainbows and gummy bear, you know, journey. It doesn't. It is more, it is, it's filled with adversity. It's filled with high points. It's filled with low points. So all of those, but at the end of this, we all look at that oak tree and we're like, my God, that's majestic. It didn't come about by just, oh, it's all great. So when I, so when I look at when I got married, right? Yes, my life changed, but I found 
honestly, I found out I actually became a better person. Mm. Um, now, I became a better person. So Because we become better people when we're less self-involved. There. And the, the, the challenge of, that we have these days in societies, it's very, it's the word autonomous. It's me, 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 me. But actually, no, there is me and me is important. And me sometimes is at the center of this whole thing. But then there are all these people that are brought along you, community, family, friends, and they are supposed to also, you're supposed to give to them and they're supposed to give to you and you become a better person. So I'll take, this is a very typical example. I'm very impatient. I'm, you know, I get that from my mom. She's very impatient. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah go, let's go, let's go. Let's. So my wife is the most chilled person I know. She's like, ah, and she's the youngest of five girls. So she is like super chill. <laughs> now, obviously you can see the clash here. So I'm like, woman, we need to go. Go, 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 go. You're, you're taking too long. This caused a lot of friction at the beginning of our marriage. So, you know, going through marriage courses, understanding how to make your marriage work. So, and, and when I say a marriage course, it's like, well, why wouldn't I do a marriage course? I have a car that has an MOT. I need to do it. I need to take care of the car. Or I have, um, I, I took out a mortgage and that's the biggest contract. It's not, <laughs> but it's the second biggest yeah, contract. Yeah. I need to read the fine print. I think you can get out of a, a marriage easier to yeah. be honest. <laughs> exactly, you can actually, yeah, you yeah. can. So I needed to learn to be a bit more patient and sit outside myself for a minute. So I thought that, you know, hey, my life is great. You know, I'm single. When I was single, I'm a sane person. I'm all right, so there's nothing. And then you get married and you're like, huh, okay, maybe everything wasn't as great as I thought it was because you get this mirror saying, we're struggling here because you don't want to do this. So I have to give. And then strangely enough, I found when I started to give, my wife starts to give. Mm. And then we meet in the middle. So I'm not as impatient as I was. And I thought that was normal because that's how we were in our family. I'm not as impatient. I've learned to be calmer and be more present. And my wife is like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be as chilled because life, I need to do stuff. And we're meeting in the middle. Now, all of that, me not me learning to be patient is now preparing me for my children. I'm about to be a father. And one thing, as, as you know, you have to be patient with children. Mm -hmm. So it's all about, it's that whole thing of the oak tree. To get to the oak tree, there is change that has to happen. And sometimes we need to be a bit more open to that change and know that some, some of these things are working to refine character and change persona because we are not perfect. We were broken from, you know, past trauma. And sometimes, you know, being with somebody can help. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes if you're fortunate, it can help refine who you are as a person, but it's a bit of a journey. I love that. 
I loved all that. That was great. I, 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 there's, I, I would have normally just said that was great and we would have called it there. There's one thing I, I, I meant to ask actually, and I would kill myself if I, if I forgot to, women feature so heavily in throughout your work. And I know, I believe at least from what I've, I've read that this isn't, this is a very conscious decision. Who are the women and who are, what are some of the stories that you're trying to tell? Because I don't believe it's just an aesthetic choice. Yeah, sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's not. Um, so I'm inspired by my, uh, by my mother. Um, my mum was the first woman that I got to know, that I got to see. She informed my ideas about womanhood. She was quite a powerful character, she was very strong very bullish, stubborn, um, but also quite caring uh, to a fault. Um, and so I saw all these different aspects to womanhood through her. And then my dad's sisters as well were quite powerful characters and sometimes they would clash with her because mm -hmm. they were quite powerful characters. Uh, so that was the beginning. And then as I grew older, I started to see all these different shades of womanhood uh, from how they look to how they see the world to different personalities and so that was always bubbling there just in the back of my head um, and I, I'm you know I'm amazed by when they keep the homes they do a lot of things within the space at least in the Nigerian uh, con uh, context and then when I started to go back to Nigeria, when I'd been living here for a while, you know, it was a, a European way of womanhood. I started to see that. So that was completely different. And then going back, I started to see some of the challenges of womanhood in terms of women were treated as second class citizens in Nigeria. You know, the women don't have as much say in things or, or they do sometimes, but they are not treated equal to men by any stretch. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking it's like there to there. No, it, it's um, the woman, your job, even if you have a PhD, your job is to be a cook or be a wife throughout those babies. And, and, and so, and that's sometimes a patriarch, no, it is a patriarchal mm -hmm. structure. So for me, the work is to celebrate womanhood, to edify womanhood. It's to, because of these women that I saw as a kid and they made such a strong impact on me as a person. Um, I, I want to celebrate women and more, more especially celebrate the black woman because I know some of the, I don't fully know everything, but I know some of the challenges they've been through. I'm also, you know, some of the work that I did where I was talking about FGM, female genitalia mutilation, it's because I've seen the cultures that I love, but I've seen the damaging effects they've had on, on womanhood. So for me, it's to be able to use my work to talk about these uh, and, and to, to, yeah, to just celebrate the culture, but also celebrate women within the space of culture. So where does that leave men? That's an interesting thing. And maybe this is also a reflection of my journey as a person. I was more drawn to women as a kid. Uh, I think it, that, that narrative is changing now because I, I'm beginning to have a burden for men 
because in the world that we live in, sometimes I found I find men are left out of the conversation or they're left behind. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that they're not in inequalities. They are definitely inequalities between men and women, anything from pay gap to how men are treated compared to women. But I feel like if we don't, there are a lot of conversations with, with women right now. And that's because women are amazing at facilitating and pushing forward to making sure that women are treated right and they have there's equality there. But I also am beginning to think that men could end up being left behind and there, there is, you know, men struggle. There's a higher suicide rate now than there's ever been. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's like a question. I think men are feeling isolated and feeling left behind, which is why when you look at you know, if you want to dig into the rise of far-right ideologies, the, the 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 safe spaces created for Trumpism and things like that. This is this is fundamentally a failure to address a modern uh, the modern changes of masculinity, the changes in modern masculinity. So many people now just feel that this world has changed so fast and that they don't know who they are because. They believe, again, it goes back to this idea of what we're programmed to believe a man is supposed to be. And we are inherently, we're the protectors, we're the caregivers, the breadwinners. When these roles are challenged and changed, then the men aren't equipped. They don't have the support structure around them to be able to deal with these changes. Whereas women are... They talk, they know communities, they know their sisters, they know their their support networks. They do this from day one and they are equipped. You know, a, a breakup, a, if a girl goes, to, a woman goes through a breakup, she's got her friends there and they're talking and they're talking the whole way through. Guys will go through a breakup and will take themselves down to the pub and just have a drink or something like that, you know? And it's a sweeping generalization, but this idea of kind of a failure to address modern masculinity is definitely a real, I believe it's a real thing. Yeah, it, it definitely is a real thing. And as a culture and a, as a society, the way to move forward is together. Mm. No, no, it, it is not leaving anyone behind. And I'm not negating the stuff that's happened in the past about, you know, d different inequalities. For me, it is how do we move together as a society because one can't move ahead without the other mm -hmm. we kind of have to do this together so we have to make sure that nobody's left behind and men aren't struggling so they men haven't featured as much in my work and but maybe that maybe that's something that's going to change when you see any male figures in my work it's actually me they're usually self-portraits and there's a lot of introspection there and some of it is about masculinity. Some of it is about, you know, I'm not, it's interesting. I'm not like a man's man. That's not who I am. I, I am, I have certain, I, it's hard to say, it, um, is it, it's not hard to say it, but it's, it's one of the, is it effeminate qualities? I, I yeah. don't, I, I don't know what, what the hell, but you know, I'm, yeah, I don't, Feminine qualities, a softness, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I am, I am, I am. Same with your chest, man. Oh no, no, no. But it's not. It's not. It's not. I know. I know who I am. But it's more. I just don't know how. What the phrasing is
But I, so I'm happy and comfortable in being that way. And so some of that stuff is reflected in the work. It's exploring that because when I was growing up, I was trying to understand, you know, be a man or be or not be a man. And what is what is that if if I'm if I'm softer spoken on certain things or I have an affinity to uh, to maybe care or, or deal with women's issues, then what does that? And so for me, it was being comfortable in who I am. This is who I'm made to be. And they're very variations of masculinity and masculinity. It, it, we don't, you know, there's some men who are men's men and th there's a beauty in that as well. We can't just have everybody being the same, but we have to have a moral compass you know, in that to be able to treat people fairly and to love and understand each other. So, you know, they're varying uh, things, upbringing, different things, but kind of have to just be, um, be loving towards that one. And it sounds very, well, be loving, but actually I think I, in some ways, I think that that might be the way forward. Be open to somebody else, be, um, give them respect. This, these are your views about life. Okay, that's okay. They're, they're not my views, but we can still sit down and have a drink and talk about the things which are challenging to us or the things that make us happy. And on that note, I'm going thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dan. That was great. Thank you. Great. Thank you. That was a sequel in conversation with me, Doug Gillen, here on Radio Juxtapose. Once again, thank you to the, everyone at the MTR agency for letting us hijack their office space to record that interview. And don't forget, from the 16th of March, you can check out a sequel as part of the group exhibition Rites of Passage on display at the Britannia Street Gagosian in London. That's it from me just now. As always, we will be back with you guys real soon. Till then, take care of yourselves and each other.